everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working moms and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mom, and effortless lifestyle coach, Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners, and creatives about what it really takes to have a business and life you can truly enjoy. And remember, you can find me on Instagram at Marina Pearson or my Facebook group, The Joy of Being. And if you'd like a more personalized touch to live a stress-free life, then why not find out more about The Joy of Being Retreat, an intimate four-day profound experience at a luxury venue in Javier, Spain, where you get to experience your inner calm and peace of mind by slowing down and making space. To find out more, email me at marina, marinapearson.com with Joy of Being Retreat in the title. And on today's show, I have the infamous Rebecca Perkins. Rebecca is an experienced well-being and resilience coach and now works specifically with families, daughters, children, mothers, fathers who are dealing with anorexia and eating disorders. And this really came about because of her experience with her own daughter. And as a result, she co-authored and published a book called Recovery from Within, A Mother and Daughter's Journey Through Anorexia. But way before this, she's already known on the radio. She was interviewed BBC Radio's Four's Woman Hour for her, her first book called Best Knickers Always, 50 Lessons for Midlife. And she's also been known to appear on Robert Alms and Joe Good's BBC Radio London shows too. And this shift into working with eating disorders came about because of her own journey with her daughter. And on this episode, we talked about that, what was going on for her, what was going on for her daughter, how her daughter has now fully recovered and the implications of all of that. It was such an honest and deep and humbling conversation that we could have carried on for hours and hours after. There was something really personal and deep to it, something we both got really emotional actually in a moment because it it was deeply moving and touching. So if you're experiencing an eating disorder or you have a family relative or you have a daughter or a son that's going through it, then this is going to be an amazing and amazing episode for you. Enjoy. So Rebecca, what a wonderful, wonderful honor to have you on the episode today talking about eating disorders. Now, I know for most of the listeners um, who are moms, uh, maybe you've experienced this with a child or you're experiencing it now, or maybe you've even gone through it, or maybe you are going through it yourself. So I wanted to open up this conversation because I know somebody that suffered um, for, I guess, when I was went through it. It started when I was about 13, 14, but didn't really uh, stop until I was about 35. Yeah. So an honor to have you on here today. So Rebecca, I'd love to start with, how did this journey begin for you? Thank I am so really so happy to, to be on the show today. So I guess the journey begins uh, in 2008. When my darling daughter, Beatrice B, was 14 years old, and I had suspected that things were not good on the eating front with her, but it was one of those issues that I didn't want to face. I didn't want to go anywhere near it. Um, I was doing some research myself, but just just didn't, I buried it, head in the sand. And then it was New Year's Eve. 
2008-9 that we all the family were together I'm very close with my sister and the cousins all get on so it was it was a, a wonderful evening and my nephew who was 13 at the time said to my sister does B have an eating disorder boom straight out like that <sighs> and she then said to me the next morning this is what Henry said. And Marina, my legs gave way. And I can, oh God, I can feel it now. Because she, she had voiced what I had feared so deeply. And there was that, no, not B, not us, not, not no. This happens to other people. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't happen to us. But there it was. So we went to the doctor. And, and back then, we were fortunate enough where we were living. It's a bit of a postcode lottery. But we were able to get straight to see the people that we needed to see. But it was from there that everything unraveled because it was like for B, and she talks about this, that she was then, she had the label anorexia. So for her, it was, I'm going to be the best anorexic I can be with that label. And, and I, we can go into more detail about all of that. But if I, if I fast forward to now, she is 26 and in her words, recovered, not in recovery, but recovered. Mm. And we've gone through from, from 2008 to the present, a number of years of in and out of uh, appointments with hospitals, dietitians, nutritionists, psychotherapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, you name it. Her and me, some, we had one family group, which was so painful that B said and and I was thinking never again because there was so much so much to deal with in that situation with egos and guilt and resentments and I mean it was it was just too painful to do so it's it's been a it's been an incredible journey of pain and delight and everything in between, um, from the feeling that this was always going to be part of her life and our life, to now seeing that um, it's in the past. Hmm. And I think, you know, at, at the, so at the time, a bit of background <clears throat> was that at the time that B was diagnosed, I was going through NLP and coaching training. At the time, I was able to separate the behavior from the identity back then in NLP terms. Um, so I knew, and in fact, it's interesting because the understanding that you and I both come from now, I was able to see that she was caught up in her thinking. It wasn't who she was. Mm. And that to me, I was so grateful for the training I was going through at the time that I was able to see that. Mm. And I remember having a conversation with my mum when B was just being vile to me, shouting, screaming, slamming doors and everything. And, and my dear, dear mum was saying to me, I don't know how you let her speak to you the way you do. And, and I just said, remember saying to her, because it's not her. Mm. That's not her. Because then half an hour later, B comes back downstairs and breaks down into my arms crying. Now that's her. Or part of that, that, that's another part of her. So it, it was, it, to be, it's the most challenging thing I've ever gone through in my life. Divorce, piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> Mother with dementia, piece of cake. <laughs> 
you know, yeah. Um, but the joy now of having come out of it and one of my, so I, I kind of my, my work, which has revolved around women in midlife uh, now has now moved towards includes those, but also towards those that are struggling with eating disorders, whether that's the parents that are struggling with a loved one or, or the, the person who's going through it. Beautiful work, Rebecca, and very much needed in the world. Mm. I did not expect this conversation to be so emotionally charged. No, I didn't. <laughs> I really resonate and relate to what B went through. Um, God, I remember being so vile to my mother. Mm. I threw, I think I threw oranges at her once. <laughs> Random. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever was nearest. Um, I love the fact that you saw that she wasn't her behavior. And I also love the fact that you see the beauty in, 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 in how it all kind of worked out in the end. I think something came to mind when you were talking, which was, um, I, I, I mentioned it to you around my son. He's only four. He has some big feelings and he doesn't know any other way to express them other than through hitting at the moment, hitting other children and hurting them. And um, he's been reprimanded for it quite a few times already in the last couple of weeks. And what I've got to see is, is that that doesn't necessarily go away. We're always in some way, shape or form doing that, even as adults. So big feelings show up. We have a way of dealing with them. And sometimes it's not generative, right? So it could be, I stop eating, or it could be, I, um, I decide that it's a great idea to overeat and then bin and then. Yeah. 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 Purge. Um, or it could be, um, alcohol or shopping or self-harming or, but it points pretty much to the same thing, which is, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling right now. And we are doing it all the time. Yeah. Those copious amounts of coffee sometimes where I'm like, I don't want to feel it. I'm just going to have some more coffee. (laughs) Um, and, and, and so it's something comes to mind as well. So I've got a, I've got two sons as well. Oh, you do? Um, yes. Yeah. So my eldest is 29 to almost 29 and he lives in Singapore. My youngest is 20 coming up to 21 and he's a student. And, um, he it's it's really interesting because he's, uh, he came out when he was 14, um, and has suffered anxiety a lot. Um, and used to get panic attacks and he would talk about that he was an introvert and didn't want to be out and didn't want to be outside or, you know, with lots of people, but he, he got himself a, a job before he went off to university working in the cafe. So he was front of house, very busy. Um, and he would sometimes just literally have to leave and go and find somewhere to hide whilst he had the panic attack and then to be able to come back in to the cafe. And I'd spoken to him about the, this, you know, the inside out understanding of where our experiences are really coming from. 
And he really got it. He's a physicist. You know, that's what his passion is, is science. But he got it in a completely different way to how maybe I understood things. And he just said, he said to me one day, he said, Mom, I've just had the most extraordinary experience is that I could feel the rising panic of a panic attack coming. But I thought, it's just a feeling. It, and I just allowed it, almost like a scientific experiment, I allowed it to come and do its thing. And he said it was like a wave that came through me and went out the other side. And it was like, oh, was that it? He said, mm-hmm. and I'm no longer frightened of them. And I know it's my thinking that was creating that in me. And I didn't need to do, I didn't need to pursue it. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, wow. He was probably 17 at the time. And, it, and it's like, and I see it all the time. I'm working with somebody at the moment who's in her 20s, her mother died. And she's terrified of grief. She's terrified of feeling that pain. So she's running away from it, literally traveling, going as far away to run away from the feelings. But they're still there. And we've been working together to help her see that the the chaos that's happening when she's believing her thinking. Like, you know, I can't, I can't go there. I can't even see a picture of mum because, you know, and slowly she's, she's relaxing mm-hmm. and seeing that, oh, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. Or whether it's working with, you know, as we were talking earlier, this this young girl I'm working with who's got anorexia at the moment, and that real that sudden realization of, oh, oh, that thinking, oh, it's not real, <laughs> and I, it doesn't have to be so hard. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be so hard. Well, it becomes less hard when we actually realize what actually creates our experience, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something you mentioned earlier about, because I'm sure there are, actually, I don't know if I'm sure about that at all. Um, anybody listening in? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that they're wondering about, I don't know that actually. Um, but I'm, something that comes to mind to me to kind of go back to is this. So B is now recovered. What happened? Like for anyone that is going through this, it's like, okay, so that's all great. But actually, what happened? Mm. So she'd, we'd had a number of years in and out of or, or seeing all the therapists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And her BMI, which was their marker, had come up to a level where they would say, okay, you're ready to, you know, we don't need to see you anymore. And she then got on with life, went off to university, but it, it was always there. There was, it was always there. What was always there? What the is thinking, the, 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 so it as in anorexia. Right. Which is, which is what, exactly? which is think, which was the <laughs> thinking around food, mm-hmm. the thinking around food. It was constantly there in, her, you know, in her mind, what she was going to eat today. Could she eat that? 
if I'd phoned to say, let's go out for something to eat, she would plan which restaurant we'd go to so she could look at the menu, so she could, you know. And it was all subconscious. She didn't even know she was doing it. Is what So, you know, having conversations with her today, she said, I didn't even realize that. Hmm. So she, as she said, she was fine. If people would say, no, no, I'm fine. But it was very much a case of me being on eggshells around her. I couldn't, you know, I, I kind of avoided subjects of food, which is interesting. So I was caught up in my own thinking about B and her thinking about eating disorder. And then she was having a conversation with a friend and colleague of mine who's a drama therapist and works from this understanding. Uh, and we were having a conversation and B was talking, telling her about her blacklist, which was this subconscious list of foods that she just didn't eat. And boy, was that list long. <laughs> and the conversation went, and well, suddenly came to a grinding halt when this colleague and friend of mine said to her, you do know that's made up, B, don't you? You do know that that blacklist doesn't really exist. And then there was this stunned silence from the three of us as that realization hit B right between the eyes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I've made it up. And B talked, I mean, it was literally like a house of cards collapsing Hmm. because her life had revolved around this blacklist that was real to her. And now she was seeing that it was an illusion. And everything changed. And over the space of, I I don't know how long it was, not long at all, I'd get text messages from B saying, oh, my God, smoked salmon and cream cheese sandwiches. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, they're yummy, aren't they? (laughs) Things like... um, Having two boys, I used to cook a lot of carbs. (laughs) Uh, They were both, you know, doing a lot of sport and they just ate. They had hollow legs. They just ate. And they're over six foot. And, uh, you know, so glad I live alone now. I don't have my shopping list is, you know, a basket. You had your blacklist of shopping. (laughs) And I, you know, I used to cook things like gnocchi. Okay. So it's Italian kind of potato Mm -hmm. thing, dumplingy things. And, and of course they were off these list and, she texted me and she said, I've just cooked gnocchi with a blue cheese, creamy sauce. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm there sobbing with joy. And or her texting me the things she was going to cook for her and her boyfriend that night. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like it's something so simple, like not even like we think about, right? So, yeah. But what what dawns on me when I listen to you is like, there was this new lease of life. It was like a rebirth of living a rebirth of wow. Like a whole new reality, whole new life had just opened up for her that she didn't even realize existed. Exactly. And I'm getting a copy of, I just want to read something if that's okay. Yeah. yeah, Which is the last thing that be, so we've written a book about her recovery. Um, so it's recovering from the inside out, is that correct? It's called Recovery from Within. Okay, wonderful. Okay, reco- recovery from Within, A Mother and Daughter's Journey Through Anorexia. 
And this is the last thing that she wrote. So for me, going forward, everything we've written about in the book means I can be whoever I want to be and not be defined by labels or others' expectations. I can do whatever I want and no matter what happens, I'll be okay. I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. I'm more confident and trust my own instincts. I can empathize with others when they're caught up in their own thinking. I can go to a restaurant and not panic about what I can and can't eat. I'm able to notice more quickly when my thinking isn't being helpful. I can be curious about the foods that were off limits for so long. My mind is freed up to focus on other things. I can enjoy food again. I can enjoy life again. Mm. And that gets me every time I read it. I think intrinsically as parents, that's what we want our kids yeah. to be, right? Is, is they just enjoy this experience we've, they've been given. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, exactly. As a mother, it's like, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. This identity piece, because something that I'm, I'm currently working with someone at the moment, and one of the things, she asked it herself, actually, which is who would I be without yeah. this disorder? And so, because it does take up so much time and energy, and we kind of become the disorder. Mm-hmm you are anorexic. I am anorexic. It's like, I am the disorder. What's been really helpful? Like how did, what has B seen that was really helpful for her? It's interesting because one of the chapters that she's written in the book, so we've alternated, we write, you know, different sections. And one of the chapters that is entitled, who would I, who am I without my eating disorder? And what she has seen, what she's really seen is that she is only experiencing her thinking that she is, Oh God, we could go really existential here, but you know, who am I really, you know? Yeah, <laughs> sure. That, we yeah, don't yeah, exist yeah, sure. really. Yeah. It's just, you know. <laughs> Conversation you have down the pub. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but she's seen the amount of energy that the eating disorder was taking up, that that's all she saw. But now she can see that that was just thinking that she was taking seriously, getting caught up in, and she was missing everything else around life and and who she was. Um, and as she said now, it's funny because I think she, something that she's written in that on that section in the book was about, so today I might wear my boyfriend's jumper and be a tomboy, or tomorrow I might wear, you know, my power suit and go into work and be a businesswoman. Mm. But that, again, that's not who I am. Mm. I am the, you know, it's the awareness from that space mm. that who we really are. Mm. Um, and when, so, so it's like saying who I am, who I think I am is only made up a bunch of thinking that I've got about who I am. Mm. Okay. You know, a mother, and some days I don't feel like a great mother. Some days I feel like a superwoman. Some days I feel like, you know, I'm a, I'm a great daughter and other days I think I'm not. So who, who am I? You know, I'm all and none of that. Mm. So the same with what I was thinking about B, who had an eating disorder. She was not seeing the same thing. Mm. 
you know, there's this, be- there's this picture, you, you, you've probably seen it. It's like, a, um, and it's a drawing of a girl looking at herself in the mirror and we're the observer of that girl looking at herself in the mirror. Mm. So she's looking and her, the reflection to her is of, of fat, okay? Mm. And what we're seeing is the back view of her, yes. which is bones. Mm. Okay? Yeah, so something... Oh. <laughs> no, I was going to say, so, so, so what's really going on there, mm. you know? It's only ever our, our perception. I had this really crazy thought that popped in about three years ago where it was like, I actually don't know what I look like. <laughs> yes, I know. Depending. Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and go, fuck yeah, I'm so hot. Like, seriously, I'm the hottest woman on the planet. And other days I go, oh my God, look at that fat on my tummy. I've really got to do something about it. But it's so funny, and this tech kind of going a left turn here, but it's like a lover sees you as this God's gift and you're kind of sucking everywhere, sucking everything in and going, oh, no, look at my tits. They're like, I'm 55, you know, don't. Oh, you do? Can I, can I? <laughs> you, yeah, that's really lucky you have one of those. I want one of those. Obviously, there is this thing called body dysmorphia where you see... Yeah your perception of what you think about. So, but that, that idea of, of, I don't actually know what I look like and I will never know what I look like. And I don't know how other people see me because they will have days where they think I'm hot and sexy and other days where they may think, gosh, you're so smelly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and and none of it's real. No. Isn't that great? (laughs) So, a question that came to mind was um, what's been really helpful for you as a mum to see, to have seen? Because obviously for her to see that she wasn't the label, for her to see that she'd made things up, for her to see that it was just a lot of overthinking in this particular area, what's been really useful for you as a carer to see um, that's helped her actually, not just helped you, but that's helped her? Because obviously it's the same thing. Yeah. Two things come to mind. One of them is unconditional love. You mean it's not conditional? <laughs> well, you see, that's some really, really disturbed thinking I had as a, as a until I came across. In fact, it was in a conversation with Michael Neal that I had re- thought that my parents had loved me conditionally for 54 years. Wow. And I literally, oh God, I made that up as well. Because by the very nature of love, it's unconditional. Love is unconditional, full stop. Yeah. So for her, and she'd, so she, this was helpful for her as well, is that because at the time she didn't love herself, she hated herself. So to have a mother there that loved her, mm-hmm. even if she were throwing, let's say, oranges at me, <laughs> um, or slamming doors in my face, or I loved her unconditionally. And that was foundational for her and for me. Now, does it have to be the mother or the father that no. love? It can be anyone. They anyone. can see that they are loved regardless yeah. of what they look like, yeah. what they think. Yeah. And whatever they're choosing to do. Because I know, so this kind of begs the question, because I know you've seen something else, but it might well lead into that. Um, what happens if 
that particular, because obviously B, B is really lucky to have you as a mum, right? So very supportive sometimes, you know, I'm sure there were times that she was like, you're not being supportive at all, blah. Um, But you were there, you were open, you were unconditional. But let's say, for example, like my mum, bless her, was there. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she, she didn't really quite know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, or maybe there are parents that just literally cannot deal. And so that person thinks that they can't even talk to that, the very people that they mm-hmm. want to share this with because there is so much ego, there is so much guilt, there is so much like, oh my God, worry. Yeah, so I'd love you to speak to that. It, it, it's a really tough thing. And that's what, you know, you hear an awful lot from people is yeah. that they, they don't feel supported and loved. And it can be really hard, really, really hard. But for me, what I'm, I, I guess what I'm passionate about sharing is and this is the second you know the second thing that I yeah. see actually, this leads on to it mm. is seeing the health mm. that is beneath the inverted commas disorder because as you and I both said earlier we don't don't like that I don't like the vocabulary around it so if there isn't somebody like a parent or a love or, or your partner or your best friend or whoever it is that sees that health in you it's it's for me my role as a coach now is to help my client say who is somebody that's struggling is to see their own health and the reason that people don't see the health is because they're bombarded with their own thinking about my daughter is sick my you know this is my worst nightmare you've got your own you know I don't know what to say I don't know how to help I don't you know oh my god oh my god and it gets all out of completely spiraled but I keep coming back to the health and resilience that is innate in all of us and that's my job is to point that out and to keep pointing there and to keep pointing there does that kind of answer the question yeah and 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 for someone that doesn't actually understand pointing back to their health because obviously I do I've been yeah. around how yeah. life works for for about 5 years so yeah. I understand it but for someone that's maybe listening in for the first time what does that actually mean I guess I see it and 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 this is kind of a meta and and best ways to use a metaphor I think mm. and I'll share my metaphor that I love and I'll share a metaphor that B uses so I'm, I'm sitting here in South Wales at the moment. There's blue sky. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, the weather isn't always as lovely as this in South Wales. And we cannot see that blue sky for days, 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 days. And it can be raining and windy and foggy and misty. And if we, and yet I never, ever, ever doubt that beyond, be, you know, that the blue is always there. I never doubt that, that the blue sky is always there. Yeah, you just need to go on an aeroplane, right? Yeah, quite. Exactly, exactly. So if we then liken that to us, ourselves, our thinking and our moods and everything, is that we, our natural state of being is the blue sky. Mm. But we think we're the weather. Mm. 
So we think that we are the thunderstorm, that, that what's going on for us is who I am. Okay, so we can have, but so, so what I'm sh- sharing with people is that we can have all the, the rainy day thinking or the, the high wind thinking, or we're caught in a tornado of some sort or a snowstorm, or it's so foggy I can't see beyond the end of the, the garden. And, we, and, and metaphorically, we've all got that going on at some time. We're human. You know, it's not all a bed of roses, and that would be boring, frankly. Mm-hmm. But it's not who we are, fundamentally. It's not who we are. Mm-hmm. So that we can allow this thinking, which might be anorexic thinking or relationship issue thinking or money thinking, to just be oh, I've got that thinking rather than, oh, it's who I am. I can never have a relationship. I'm always useless with money. I'm always going to be an alcoholic, whatever it is. Okay, mm-hmm. it's, it's thinking that we're giving airtime to and thinking it's who we are, but it's not because we are that default, which is blue sky. It's that feeling we get deep down and some of us might not have experienced it for a while, a long time, but deep down where we just go, yeah, I know, home base kind of thing. So two things that came to mind when you were speaking was the first one was, was it always like that for her and for you? So I, I'm just curious is like, because often we can go, oh, yeah, it's blanket license that, mm-hmm. that during that time it was all awful. Mm-hmm. But did she have moments of peace? Yeah, right. absolutely. So absolutely, it wasn't um, a constant state of like anxiety, but often we think it is because yeah. I have this eating disorder and therefore it's like that all the time. Yeah. Um, no, ab- absolutely. And I, you know, I, I have suffered with, well, probably on and off 10 years of depression in the past. Mm. Okay. But I give myself the label. I was depressed. Okay. Now, when I was lying in bed curled up with one of my babies in a state of bliss, I wasn't depressed. <laughs> when I was walking by the beach and hearing the waves crash on the shore and feeling the sun on my face, I wasn't depressed. When B and I were out walking the dog in the park and it was pouring with rain and we were laughing because we were so wet, we weren't, she didn't have an eating disorder. But we think it's who we are. Mm-hmm. And B, so B's metaphor for this is around when you, you, when you buy a new laptop and it's factory setting and it runs like a dream. And then we start loading it up with apps and documents and streaming stuff and and it begins to go wrong and you know mm-hmm. and that's what that's kind of her metaphor for it mm-hmm. is that we just need to take it back to factory settings i love that and so the other thing i was going to ask you was um As a, as a mama, when she was all caught up, did you see the health in her? Was that useful? 
I think I would have worded it differently then because I didn't have the language that I've got now around this. But I remember... I remember a conversation I had with her that was... I can't... I can't make you better. Because that's up to you. That's not, I can't, it's not, a, you know, it's not a plaster that I'm going to stick on to make this all better. And I had to hand it back to her in some way. Now, whether I saw that as seeing her health underneath all that and trusting her, there's part of me that wants to say, yes, there was a level on that, because if I hadn't, then I would have wanted to cling on to it to make her better. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's oh, I, coming to me. Yeah, yeah. Like um, what comes to mind is I think it was Bill Pettit's wife. So Bill Pettit is a psychiatrist. For those of you who don't know who he is, if you'd like to look up, you can always Google Bill Pettit. But he had a wife, has a wife, not had, has, um, who shared her an experience she had with a client. Mm-hmm. She was dying of cancer. The client was. And um, she was saying how she was really chilled out about it and then one day she just got really in her head about the fact that this, she started to get really worried about her client. And the client just turned around to her and goes, this is really unhelpful. Wow, right? Like, this is so unhelpful to me to see you so worried. Because yeah. now I think that I don't have what it takes to be okay with this. Yes. So what kind of spoke to me around that was like, it's almost like, oh, wow. So I see the resilience. Yeah. And energe- on an energetic, I know, and on an energetic level, it's like they see the resilience in me. That must mean I'm resilient. Yeah. Is, yep. is it something along with this? Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And the other thing that was important as well for me was for me to get on with life. I had two boys to... Mm. look after as well I mean they were one was getting ready to leave home and and I was had a marriage that was falling apart at the same time so yes you know you know (laughs) hey well done you Rebecca well well played (laughs) (laughs) but I also had friends I wanted to see I wanted to look after myself I was I had a friend who was a, a um a reflexologist and she was saying come and let me let me treat you let me help you let me you know look after you for a bit so it was that was important, and that was important even subconsciously for B to see that it was like I trust you enough that I can look after myself and not have to just be intensely focused on you. And that's 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 the whole that's what parenting is about, isn't it? You know, it's 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 giving them as I talk about a lot or did talk about a lot roots and wings, mm. giving them the roots to, to know that place of resilience and well-being and home. And it's not bricks and mortar because I've lived in so many different homes. It's not that, but also the wings to fly. Bee's had it tattooed on her chest, on her, on her side, on her, on her ribs. She said, mum, you can't be cross because they're your words. <laughs> <laughs> Clever kid. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? It's mm. 
roots and wings. Yeah, home is where you are as opposed to where the house is. Yeah, and home is where they are. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Also something that I wanted to ask was, was there like, often we can, we can take like something like this so seriously, right? It's serious business. Like this is a life threatening disorder that could, and it's not a way to kind of belittle it, but there is a, there is a, a way in which humor can also play a big role in, in making light of it. So not taking it so seriously. Yeah. And I know this may sound for anybody that's listening in going, what? Of course it's serious. Was there any of that going on? Was there a sense of we can also be lighthearted about it? Like it doesn't have to be this heavy thing. I think back then it did feel very heavy mm. um, because obviously I, I hadn't come across, you know, what, what we know about how the mind really works. Mm. So it felt weighty, mm. which is interesting as we're talking about, you know, anorexia. Um, <laughs> well, there's a lot of heavy thinking that comes yeah, with it, right? Ironically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is really important. But at the, and yes, of course, we had moments. But I'm, as I'm talking, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I remember many light moments. So it was heavy for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and interestingly, bees associated that with the house that we lived in at the time, which is really interesting. Whereas when I'm working with my clients now, oh, we laugh all the time. I love that because, uh, yeah, I love that. Because I think I think in society we we kind of oh have you've got cancer oh or like oh you've got a deceiving eating disorder they've got a deceiving eating disorder yeah. or oh my god like you know having an op you know down yes. there oh like can't talk about it and um I see this with the mums I work with where there's so much shame around being a shit mum. Mm-hmm. Right, like this whole thing around, I can't talk about the fact that I'm fucking failing and failing really, really dismally, which is all made up anyway. But in their mind, it feels so real. But there's so much shame around it. Like there's so much shame around. And what I've realized, like it just sort of came to me in, um, like last week is if we don't talk about it, if we don't make light of it, if we can't, like if, if, it, if we whisper about it, the shame just it solidifies the shame in some way, shape or form. Let's talk about it. Let's get it out in the open. Let's, 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 let's give it some space. Let's let the conversation have some space, like a good wine, open the bottle and let it breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very much. Because then shame can, this sort of hiding it, suppressing it, (laughs) Yeah. What, what have you found? Like, yeah. So much. Oh my gosh. The, the thinking that I had around when, or my ability as a parent when B was ill, I was so ashamed because of what other people might think about me. Right. 
<laughs> like she's been a shit mom because it's yeah. all her fault. Her daughter, my fault. What have I done? Was I, was it, you know, she was a middle child. Was it, I was a, was I a pushy parent? Was I, you know, I don't know. People, I always said she was so beautiful. Maybe that was the problem. Was it, you know, was it that, you know, gosh, if, 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 if she hadn't been born in the middle and she'd been the eldest, would, would she not feel in competition with her brother? Would she, was it, was it that my relationship with her dad was so bad? Was it, I don't know. Was it that I'd been selfish enough to have a third child? And was it that I stayed at home? Was it that I, you know, oh God, so much thinking. And of course I spoke to nobody about all that mm. because of the shame. Mm. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. yeah. For anybody that's listening, in, we're just breathing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And we just don't talk about it. It's still a really taboo subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, but it's interesting because I've got you know, girlfriends that I've known for many years and some that I've met more recently. And I'm finding more as I get older and because of what I've seen about how life works. God, I talk about everything with my girlfriends now. Yeah. Everything. I do you too. Know, and, and all the stuff that goes around, you know, I'm kind of perimenopausal, menopausal, not quite sure what's going on. That means all of that, whatever that means, exactly (laughs) talking about, you know, yeah, just everything, everything, everything. And gosh, it's so much lighter and we laugh so much. (laughs) I think like, I remember watching this movie, um, and it was so fascinating. I love Jim Carrey. Like Jim Carrey is my idol and I have this, desire to invite him on this podcast um and for him to say yes and for us to have a conversation yeah. so i've put it out there now i've made it i've made it a thing it's oh out my there. god he is just awesome i love i love what he talks and about i love days. his transformation so yeah and it all came about because when he decided he was going to be um uh that famous comedian oh what's his name Oh, can't remember now. Anyway, it's a movie about him becoming that person. Mm -hmm. So he decided that he was going to be that person for 24-7. And so Jim Carrey's identity completely disappeared. And he took on the persona of this. Actually, no, he didn't come. He channeled this guy. Okay. Oh, Oh, I'm going to have to look it up. You're going to have to Google it, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, ah, so interesting. So, um, yeah, so basically, um, what was really interesting about it was, um, that he became this person. Let me just. And so his, the family of the cis, this said person mm-hmm. were amazed because it literally was like having him in the room. Oh, really? Yeah. 
the way he moved, the way he said things, the way he um, yeah, just he became this person. Oh my gosh, it's not even on his fil- filmography. <laughs> oh, how interesting. Uh, anyway, um, Andy Kaufman. Ugh, so you got there. Andy Kaufman, fine. All right then. Um, and um, being Andy Kaufman, I think it's called. Anyway, so he then said, and it was decided that he would then become Jim Carrey again. He said it was really amazing because literally Jim Carrey came back and all of Jim Carrey's thinking came back. <laughs> so all of Jim Carrey's problems, all of Jim Carrey's thinking, all of Jim Carrey's issues. And I just found that absolutely fascinating. Because I was like, oh, wow. So Jim Carrey completely disappeared. He morphed into a completely different person with all of their hang-ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The transient nature of who we are. Oh, gosh. But he said something in that movie, which basically really, and he said, I'm here to make light of things so people's worries disappear. And I just love that because actually there's nothing like lightness of heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I uh, kind of what I talk about in the work that I do is my desire to show people that they just don't have to suffer. Yeah. They don't have to suffer Mm. in whatever area that is. When you see that actually it's it's all an illusion. You know, thinking just because we've had a thought doesn't make it real. Or that we need to believe it. It kind of what occurs to me is, is you're not going to get any points when you die for having suffered more than somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) You might be going to heaven maybe either. I don't know. Um, Yeah, that's really... The suffering is optional. You know, we we will experience pain. We will experience heartbreak and grief. But the suffering is optional, and I don't know if somebody said that, but the suffering is the is the thinking that we we have around the grief or the heartbreak or the whatever it is mm-hmm. that's cre- that's created by the self or the who we think we are kind of thing mm. I love that. So, Rebecca, does anything else want to be shared before we wrap up? I guess the only thing that comes to mind, and this is echoing some words that B has said as well, and I absolutely agree with this and feel it myself, is that I don't wish it had been different. Mm. (laughs) I'm happy that we experienced it. Even through all the pain, I wouldn't have had it any other way because of of what we've seen now. I love that because I've I've come to see that our greatest insecurity will also bring the most profound insights. Mm. Like I remember going through my divorce with my ex-husband and this one day where this rush of grief. And then with that came 
another wave of insight and then another rush of grief and then another wave of insight. And it literally was an entire day of waves of like a rush and a wave and a rush and a wave. And, and it felt like I was going through this washing machine (laughs) of cleansing somehow of all this shit that was bubbling up to the surface of thinking that I had and, stuff I didn't even realize I was even thinking anymore. And like there were dead nights that I wanted to just leave this body again. And just, I was, I was like, wow, that's curious. Like uh, my suicidal thoughts came back in. I'm like, whoa, I haven't had these in a while, but it was a very different experience of all of that thinking and that I didn't go and top myself that time. It, it, it literally waves of it, waves and waves so it can be actually extraor it can open up pandora's box mm-hmm. but be incredibly revealing and healing at the same yeah. time yeah mm. absolutely rebecca wow what a beautiful conversation i i don't know if i often say this but if i do well it doesn't matter really this has actually been one of my favorite conversations so far oh i've i've loved it I've loved it. And do you know what, do you know yeah. what's so funny is that 24 hours ago? I know. We didn't really know. Well, we, I didn't even know you existed. No. Nope. <laughs> and now no, I know no. all your dirty and dirty secrets. And I'm going to be sharing with everybody. <laughs> amazing. Um, so if, if, if someone's listening in and they're like oh my god I'm the mum," or oh my god that's me as the daughter or or if this resonates for you how how can they connect with you and where can they get a copy of your book oh so the best and easiest place to go to is our website which is recoveryfromwithin.life don't you like that that our yeah. dot is dot life nice so recoveryfromwithin.life yeah, dot com um, is so mundane these days. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it's so, it? It's so it's so 2014. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Instagram as well, so you can find us there on uh, Recovery from Within. Great. Um, and our book is available on Amazon. Uh, but there's links on our website. There's links it's probably easiest to go to the website because then there's a link to where you can get the book. There's also links to broadcasts that we've done already. Um, and, and yeah, so you can sign up to our mailing list from the website. B and I love sharing and talking about this. And, you know, I'm, I'm a coach. I work with parents or or people friends of those that are struggling or those that are struggling themselves I live by the beach come and spend a few days intensively and we'll just walk and talk and whatever whatever Mm. but conversation transformational conversations yeah I am yeah I'm five 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 through the camera (laughs) yeah thank you so much Rebecca um So, yeah, wow, another amazing episode. And thank you so much if you've tuned in. Um, And until the next time, bye for now. And there you have it, another wonderful episode of The Joy of Being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? 
And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com slash scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. And remember, you can find me on Instagram at Marina Pearson or my Facebook group, The Joy of Being. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek.